In a stadium rich with tradition, the lights shine the brightest. This is the camp. Now, here's your host, Zach Heilprin, on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Yes, welcome into the camp here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. I'm Zach Heilprin. He is Jesse Temple. As always, we certainly appreciate uh, on whatever platform you get your podcast to uh, rate, subscribe, um, give a review if you'd like. We do, we certainly appreciate that. Wisconsin takes care of New Mexico State, sixty-six to seven. Jesse, it was a uh, it was not a close game. Uh, it was the first time Wisconsin's ever covered a thirty-seven and a half or better spread um, that I could find, at least in like the last thirty years or the last twenty-five years or so. So it was uh, it I. I would not expect them to cover just based on, uh, you know, some of the stuff that we had seen against Washington State, but they had absolutely no problem. And that was perhaps, perhaps one of the worst teams that has played at Camp Randall that I can remember. Mexico I, State. W- I was not privy to the 70 to three blowout against Austin P in 2010 because my first season on the beat was a year later in 2011. Therefore, I feel as though I can comfortably say that was the worst team that I have seen. Um, I know Wisconsin beat Central Michigan 61 nothing in 2019, but New Mexico State was just absolutely atrocious. Um, I don't know what more you can say. Wisconsin could have done whatever it wanted to do, and it did. The fact that New Mexico State scored a touchdown, I suppose, uh, gives them uh, a leg up over Austin P. but that came against the third and fourth stringers late in the game. Either way. I don't think we learned all that much about Wisconsin on Saturday, other than the Badgers corrected some of the mistakes from a week before and feel a little bit better about themselves going into the Ohio State game. Yeah, right. Uh, Some of the things that were an issue against Washington State penalties, they had 11 against uh, Washington State. They had, um, what did it end up being, four against uh, New Mexico State. The field goals and special teams issues that showed up against Washington State pretty much non-existent for the most part against uh, New Mexico State, including, you know, getting it started with the 50-yard return from Isaac Garendo at the beginning of the game. You know, Nate Van Zelst handling the uh, extra points and field goal. Uh, that was essentially another extra point. And then uh, n- no issues in the kickoff game either with Gavin Lamb handling, handling that. So, um, you know, it, there were, you know, there, there weren't a whole lot of self-inflicted mistakes that we had seen the, the previous week. So I, that, that at least is a positive, right? Like you kind of wanted to see them play a clean game, and they they kind of did. It was everything that you, I suppose, would have wanted to see out of Wisconsin. At the same time, I know there's there's grumbling on the other side about like kind of this idea of so what, but this was the team that was on Wisconsin's schedule this week. I, I wrote about it in my recap that one team was seeking payback and the other was seeking a payout uh, because. <laughs> New Mexico State accepted $1.4 million from the game contract for its athletic department to serve as the sacrificial lamb, which somehow is only the second highest uh, dollar amount that this team is receiving because I believe they're getting $1.6 million to play Missouri. You got to do what you got to do, but this was a this was a money game, and Wisconsin took care of business. I don't know what more you could say other than that. I mean, New Mexico State has, I think, a total of like eight wins since 2018. It, it is not a good program. Jerry Kill has jumped into that. I mean, it may be his best turnaround job if he somehow were able to get that uh, that group going in the right direction at some point here. I don't envision it happening. But, um, yeah, that was a really, really bad Mexico State team. But as as you said, you can only play the teams that are on your schedule. And, you know, you have to at least take some of the things that happen with a grain of salt because it is that team. But, again, Graham Mertz, Yes. Played very well again. Uh, 12 for 15, 251 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. Uh, I find this stat to be absolutely shocking. His pass efficiency rating yesterday, 273.2. Um, he played a pretty much perfect game in his opener against Illinois, right? 20 for 21. It was about 240, 240-something through the air, five touchdowns, no interceptions. His rating that night, was lower than his rating yesterday. I don't know how that happens. Uh, I had to double check it. I didn't necessarily believe UW stats, to be honest with you. I was like, really? That's impossible. And I went and found it, and it was. Um, I think it has something to do with uh, the uh, yards per completion or maybe the yards per attempt in there. But he was very, very good. Uh, Again, and uh, a lot of guys running wide open, but also a, a couple of nice balls that had to be put in the right spot at the right time. 
it, according to the school records, his pass efficiency rating was the third highest in program history for a quarterback who threw at least 15 times. Yeah. The, the, the other two, John Stocko had a 296.7 against Indiana in 2006. And then Alex Hornibrook had a 277.4 in that game where he was almost perfect against BYU in, in 2017. I do think it does go back to kind of the yards per attempt or the, the yards per completion because he only completed 12 passes and yet had 251 yards. Yeah. You're right. There were guys running completely wide open. Like I again mentioned this in my recap. It's not as though New Mexico State uh, had the 85 Bears defense. There was one play specifically that stood out when Graham threw a 49 yard touchdown pass to Skylar Bell and the strong safety. It was like he was stuck in mud. He took the wrong angle. You could not have been more wide open for a touchdown pass if you were playing against school children. <laughs> but but Mertz delivered for the most part on time and in rhythm early on. He had two incompletions to Chimray DK throws that he would have wanted back. Chimray was open and he obviously threw the interception that Skyler said after the game that it was a miscommunication between he and Graham. You don't want to see a, an interception at all. If you're a Badgers fan, certainly not one where you're going into the red zone, but I think for the most part, that's sort of nit, nitpicky stuff on the whole. When you look at everything else that he did, um, the 12 for 15, he completed every other pass that he threw and he just looks in every way. He looks so much better this season. And you're right. Everything that happened on Saturday, you take with a grain of salt and you might be more inclined to look at that interception and say, if you do that against New Mexico state, what happens against Ohio state's defensive backs? But I think that the way Graham is playing and really the way the receivers are helping him with the number of playmakers that they have at least makes you think that this offense has the potential to give itself a fighting chance against Ohio State. Mm, all right, we'll get we'll get it to Ohio State in a little bit. Um, I don't know if I necessarily share your optimism there. I am um, not optimistic at all that Wisconsin is going to win. I okay. said have the potential to give Wisconsin a fighting chance. Yeah, you can okay. you can define that however you want. All right. Um, yes. Uh, the the interception. I I feel like it probably still would have been. A, it was probably still bad row or maybe even decision if it doesn't get tipped but as soon as it got tipped and it lost some of its um oomph lost some of the speed off of it it was pretty easy to undercut um but I, I he may have he may have picked it off anyways even if it wasn't tipped but yeah i i don't necessarily hate or i, I don't necessarily take a ton of issue with the interception the two misses are throws that we've seen him make already mm-hmm. this year so you know they were almost the exact same throw and they just weren't able to connect but I mean, he's, he, the the second touchdown to uh, Skylar Bell, the one that was in the in the corner of the end zone, very good throw. His first touchdown to Kantez Lewis uh, over linebacker, and you know, in between coverage, there a really good throw. So, like those, I think those are throws that you could probably make even if it, it was against Ohio State. Like those are good throws, even if it's Ohio State. Now, maybe Ohio State's def- defensive backs and linebackers have a are slightly more athletic and slightly better than uh, what New Mexico State was putting out there, and, and maybe they make plays on those balls, but. It gives you at least uh, more evidence that he's taken some steps. And I think that is all that you can really ask for at this point. And it, it, the thing about it is we, we, he's had a different leading receiver every week too, right? Like it was, it was Chimray DK the first week. He had over 100 yards. You had um, Keontes Lewis last week. And then you had, obviously, uh, Skylar Bell this week. Do you know the last time they had two different guys have 100 yards in a season? Wow, you're putting me on the spot here. I want to say... Two different guys have 100-yard games, you're saying? Yeah, yeah. Can I go? I feel like Jazz Peavy was on that team. I don't know. I'm asking. No. I don't think it's as long ago as you think, I feel. Uh, well, now I'm, I'm going to have to go look it up. Um, yeah. but Because uh, 100-yard 100, 100 receiving performances, there's – it's not like there's a it's not like there's a ton of them. I want to get my fact book out right now. So you that's, can I, I'm looking at it right now. I'm looking at oh, the what, fact book what right page? Now. Give me the page. What page? It's uh, 64 and 65. How nerdy are we that we've got a <laughs> fact book right next to us? But, you know, I was just writing a story. So this is how it goes. I mean, this, this is always just sitting right. 2016. Boom. What was it? Jazz Peavy had uh, 100 yards against Akron in 2016. Troy Fumagalli had 100 yards against LSU. I said wide receivers, Jesse. Oh, come on. <laughs> You're killing me. I'm kidding. I did say, I think I just said 100 yards, but 
I was kind of thinking receiver wise because usually it's you don't get that. I mean, it's it's I think it speaks to his ability to spread the ball around, right? Like it's not going to be the same guy. We expected Skylar Bell to come in and like have a you know be a big part of this offense. And through two games, he had four catches for pretty much negligible yardage. And this game, he breaks out for 108 and two scores. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm looking was... at this wrong, by the way. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> it's it's even more recent than that. What is it? Well, there's a lot of hundred yard receiving game. Like 2017, AJ Taylor had 105 yards against Miami. Quintez Cephas had uh, 100 yards against Purdue. But this is done in order of how high yards. the yardage was. Right. So it's really difficult to follow. It's not. <laughs> it's not done by year. All right. Well, hey, uh, I screwed up, and uh, I apologize. Uh, it it just it feels, but like in the first in the first three games of a season, I'm going to say it probably hasn't happened too often that you've had two different 100 yard receivers in the first three games of the season. Let's just we don't need to keep on looking at it. I, you don't need to, you don't need to prove me wrong. I'm just saying it feels like that um, at this point. But the ability to spread the ball around, I think, has been significant for Graham. He's not just locking in on one guy every time. Which, it, for a large part of this, not just him, but Wisconsin quarterbacks in general, usually have a favorite guy or maybe fit two favorite guys. And um, to this point, we haven't really seen that. I, to your point about locking on to guys, I, I was talking to Marcus Allen about this after the game Saturday night, that he felt as though one of the things Graham has done really well is that he stopped kind of staring receivers down, which you saw some of even last year, definitely in his first two years as a starter. And it all comes back to better decision-making. I know we've said that before, and if Graham continues to play this way, I imagine we'll say it in the future. But the football IQ that he's demonstrated, the willingness to check down and just make the right decisions, that was his biggest goal coming into the season was he's the quarterback. He's got to put this team in position to score. And for the most part, he has made those correct decisions. He's never going to be perfect, but it's just, it's night and day. And I think you're starting to see the maturation and development of the Graham Mertz that people hoped he could potentially be. It's, I mean, I don't know that he'll ever get to that level, but it's, this is, has the potential to be one of the better seasons that a Wisconsin quarterback has had. There's a long way to go, but it's putting it together. And those wide receivers deserve a ton of credit because they give him some weapons that he hasn't necessarily had in that volume before. For sure. I mean, you look at what he's done to this point already this season. He's already got, what, six touchdowns, two interceptions. He's throwing, you know, completing over 70% of his passes. He's been over 200 yards in three straight games for the first time in his career. Like, these are all, again, I know the competition is what it is, but these are all impressive and noteworthy uh, accomplishments for a Wisconsin quarterback because it just doesn't happen very often. I mean, they're the 335 that they had, I think, is the third most in the last decade yesterday, like as a team, obviously – Miles Burkett came in and, and uh, had some success. Uh, Dean Ingram looked like a man possessed <laughs> out there. And like every time he made a catch, he was looking back at the sideline, like yelling at the sideline. I don't know. That, I don't know what that's about. Maybe he just, Hey, I should be on the field more. Get me on the field more and give me, get me the ball. Cause we haven't really seen a ton of him through these first three games. I don't know. That's, that's totally me just uh, uh, looking at it from the outside, but what we've seen from Graham like if he was playing like he did last year, would you have any type of confidence going into to Saturday that they would actually be able to potentially, potentially give them a game? How much of your confidence in their ability to give them a potential fight is based on what you've seen from Graham so far? A ton. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. Because because now you can say Graham, it's not just the idea of being a game manager. Can you make those big explosive plays and do something special? And I think he's shown that that he can do that. I wouldn't have had any confidence based on what we saw early last season. And um, some of those numbers were inflated like the interception marks because they were trying to come back against Notre Dame, but wasn't great performances in some of those early season losses against really good teams. So yeah, a lot of it has to do with how Graham's playing and the wide receivers that he has. That's, that's probably one of the top reasons. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's a good reason. Um, He's been, I don't say locked in, but he kind of has been for for all three of these games, and and really putting the ball where it where it needs to be. We we did get a little peek at uh, Miles Burkett and an even smaller peek at my guy Deacon Hill. Um, I think it's probably unfair to to base anything we saw uh, in terms of Deacon, um, though he uh, yeah yeah um, yeah okay very uh, impressed. 
I'm just gonna skip yes. over that. I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk to Miles Burkett. I'm gonna talk to Miles Burkett here. Yeah. Um because like his first completion, the 37 yarder, had a guy in his face and still was able to you know to give his wide receiver a chance. Dean Ingram made a great play on the ball, but like it, guy in his face getting hit, throwing it up, makes a great play, had uh, a couple other really nice throws. I don't know what they exactly would look like against better competition, but uh, for a true freshman to feel, to seem like he was in full control of the offense, I think says a lot about Miles for sure. I was tremendously impressed with Miles and the reps that he got. He replaced Graham with 537 left in the third quarter. At that time, Wisconsin was leading 49 nothing, And as you mentioned, got drilled and still completed a pass. It was a little underthrown, which you can understand, and Dean made a great play on that. Then later in the game, he threw a great ball to tight end Jalen Franklin for a 21-yard completion. And that's about as good as you can hope for, for for a true freshman getting some snaps because the first game he played, he didn't throw a pass. And so I thought it was really important for them to draw some plays up where he could showcase his arm talent and build some confidence. He finished four for five for 84 yards. And it seems pretty clear now that he is the number two moving forward. And he showed why on Saturday. Kind of feel like the offensive line uh, wants him to be backup just based on what they did not block when uh, <laughs> when Deacon was in there. No, I'm kidding. Um, that was a really tough sequence for uh, tough tough situation for Deacon Hill uh, to come into two runs and then a, a pass where the guy wasn't even didn't really have a chance. Didn't really have a chance. But yeah, no, with with Miles, very impressive. So the other uh, thing on offense that that stood out, obviously outside of Graham, was some of the changes along the offensive line because mm-hmm. we saw on Monday the injury report said no Tanner Bordellini. He, he'd been out, you know, obviously since the middle of camp with the knee injury still out, wasn't really expected him back uh, right away. And then, uh, you know, pregame warmups, he's out there and he ends up getting to go in with Trey Wedig uh, at right guard and right tackle respectively for Michael Fertney and Logan Brown. And it felt like they had some success with them. Um, Trey Wedig. I mean, if you want to pay attention to pro football focus, graded out very, very well, but what do you make of that? that move and do you think uh it's something where Bob Bosa is like we're I'm going to continue that kind of rotation or did they do enough to potentially make a change there at the very least I think it's worthwhile to continue that rotation and at the most maybe they do make some changes I, I don't think Michael Fertney has been particularly poor early this season but I think you and I had discussed even in the preseason that we felt as though Tanner Bordellini was one of the five best offensive linemen Wisconsin had obviously boasted initially wanted him to earn the backup center reps because of how important having multiple centers is to this program and to Bostead based on his experience in the past. And the situation with Weddick, I don't know that that necessarily comes about if Riley Malman is healthy. Obviously, yeah. Logan Brown got the start because Malman was out, but great for Trey to get that opportunity and to perform the way that he did. I think those guys certainly showed that they deserve more snaps in the future, but it's a tough balance to strike, as you know, because on the offensive line, having some continuity and keeping the same five guys in there can be very important. But you watch what happened, and it was such a drastic change. I believe they came in on the fourth drive, and Wisconsin scored touchdowns on four consecutive drives. (laughs) So it doesn't get much better than that. Well, the thing is, it's food for thought. It is. It's definitely food for thought. Um, I will say, like, they brought Logan back in on the goal line. Um, where it was, I mean, they were at the one yard line and they brought him back in and I think he had wet against the extra tight end and, uh, Logan just washed this guy right down, like put him in, just pancaked him. Like if, if Logan, if it was just run blocking, I feel like Logan Brown would be just fine. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if all he had to do was that we've, I mean, Bob Bosa had said that, like there are other things that he, he needs to improve on. He, uh, is a little bit of a struggle sometimes in pass protection and, that's going to be significant against better teams like Ohio state. Um, but just, I, I, I thought there was improvement there. I will say this. I, I still thought, even though what they did on the ground, what they ended up with uh, 260 yards, 5.7 yards per carry, at least with Braylon, I still think that if he's at least trying to figure things out a little bit, does he seem, does he seem to you maybe not fully, uh, not fully ready to go, but it, it feels like there's a lot of dancing going on at this point. Um, instead of just hitting the hole and going. And I, we haven't, we haven't really seen it. Like Ches Malusi is just that one cut and go guy um, or has been. And I thought Isaac did a really good job of that too. Braylon, I feel like is still trying to make everyone be the, uh, the home run as opposed to kind of taking what's there sometimes. 
Yeah, I think so. I feel like he talked about that after the Washington State game, but that was a, a difficult situation because their whole plan was we're going to stop the run game and let's see what else you've got. But I, I, I don't know. I, I don't have any major complaints about Braylon so far. If anything, I think it's been great for him to have 15 or fewer carries in two of the first three games. This is basically exactly what he needed to try to sustain this throughout the whole season. I, I'd have to really go back and evaluate the tape and look at our, the moments where it seemed like maybe he sure. could have gotten more, but was dancing around. I feel like he basically did his job. And sometimes like the 39 yard touchdown was wide open. Nobody yeah. touched him. Could have walked in there. That obviously right. helps, helps the numbers, but I feel like he's mostly done his job. I don't know what that's going to look like against Ohio state. You can't have any hesitation and you've got to be able to follow your blockers and be patient because as we know, you've got to play close to your perfect game to have a chance in that one. You do uh, just the way that Garendo and Malusi have looked though. I, I kind of feel like I'm not saying they deserve more carries than they're getting right now. I mean, they had 22 carries between them and it was really good split largely because of the way the game was, but would you get those guys involved uh, in a similar fashion, even against Ohio state or would you, lean on Braylon the Garendo thing I think is a little bit tougher because most of those reps came with Wisconsin up a lot and both of his touchdown runs came when the game was already well in hand I think they want to get Isaac involved in some capacity offensively a little bit earlier they they tried that against Washington State as well if I'm not mistaken of course if you do that then you're taking away opportunities for Braylon I feel like you want to ride Braylon He's established himself as the number one guy and you clearly sprinkle in Chez. I don't know what's left necessarily for Garendo. Maybe this game showed that he should get more carries, but if you do that, you're taken away from one of the top two. And I just don't know necessarily what that looks like or the rhythm and the flow of the game. Does he get a series? I think that can be a challenge. It's a good problem to have for Wisconsin, but I feel like they're going to try and ride Braylon because of what he's been able to show in the, almost one full season that he's been the featured guy or in the rotation. Yeah. I mean, he didn't, he only got two carries after halftime. So all pretty much all of his damage was done in the, uh, in the first half. And we saw at the end of last year, like he would get, it's kind of a cliche, but get stronger as the game goes on. Um, and so like when giving him the ball, if you're giving it, you know, 15, 20 times by the end of it, people are going to stop wanting to tackle him as much. If you're, if he's having a lot of success because he's such a big body, but um, I think those other two guys have shown, that they probably need to be involved as well. I just don't know the extent to how much involvement needs to be there. Right. So exactly. Um, yeah. So uh, offensively, again, a, a lot of positives. They put up 595 yards. It was the most since uh, the uh, 2019 game against Purdue. As I mentioned, the passing yardage 335 was the third most in the last decade. So th- there was a lot of uh, positive things on the offense. I don't, do you have any negatives that you want to bring up on offense? I've got, some things we can talk about defensively, uh, some positives and and uh, one negative, one big negative that stood out about the defense. But do you have anything else positive wise uh, or negative wise that you want to talk about uh, with the uh, the offense? Well, I think it maybe hasn't gone noticed very much, but the fact that Hayden Rucci is participating and contributing in the way that he is at tight end. I I, I remember at the start of the season, I thought, well, it's going to be Clay Cunniff and Jack Eschenbach. And I think Hayden Rucci deserves a ton of credit for taking charge of his role and he's been a solid blocker, but now he's a weapon in the, in the passing game. And I, that's a very small thing, but it's something that I think has stood out early this season. And again, gives Wisconsin another option in, in the passing game as, as an offense as a whole. Yeah. I mean, you have to love that combo with him and Clay Cundiff. Oh right? yeah. I mean, it's, it's a great combo because you're not necessarily, I mean, I, I'm not looking at Hayden Rucci to have a, a huge impact in the, in the passing game, but you at least have to respect it a little bit based on, uh, the, the willingness of Graham Mertz to throw to him um, and the will and essentially him not being covered <laughs> at this point, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, and Clay kind of to an extent as well. I just, you know, they are a, they're a good match because they can both do um, what they need to do in the run game. And obviously they have the ability to catch the passes and that's what you're looking for from tight end. You don't, you, you want a guy that you want guys that can do everything. And, and Clay kind of is kind of probably more so the guy that you could count on and say he can do absolutely everything just because he's a little bit more explosive. I think you would say in the passing game than, than Hayden Rucci, but both of them are, are a real nice addition for sure. All right. Defensively, what a pick by Ricardo Holman. I mean, that, oh, man. that was just an insane interception. They may have gotten a little, a little away with a little bit of pass interference. Uh, but to be able to hold that guy off with one arm and catch the ball with the other, 
that may be go that may be the interception of the year for Wisconsin. I don't I don't know if we're going to see one better than that. That was really really impressive. And um, you know, can, can you remember something a better pick than that uh, from Wisconsin DB? It's it's difficult for me. I'd have to really think about it. But that that's right up there. The way that he was able to to fend him off and get it one handed. That's just not a play that I think you see very many people make. No, it's definitely not. Uh, it was one of three turnovers. Uh, caused by the Badgers, uh, Muma Jungmeta also had a great interception. I it was almost a one-handed one. I'm you know whatever. Uh, I think Jay Shaw's still a little upset that <laughs> it didn't fall into his hands because he almost had one the I believe like the play before or maybe two plays before. But uh, Muma Jungmeta, to me, there was a lot of people talking about how the inside linebackers weren't making plays in the first two games. Um, we, we had come to expect it from Leo Chanel and Jack Sanborn, and you know we knew that there was going to be a little bit of a, a learning curve and, and maybe and obviously not at that level of playmaking but that was the first true true like big big time play that we, we saw from the inside linebackers was that great interception off the uh off the ricochet off the guy's helmet my god they were bad um but uh i mean that was just that's just embarrassing i i, I felt bad for him like the dude just the, the quarterback just hitting the guy right in the helmet it was uh man you see that stuff in movies right or in, in tv shows like uh, let's show how horrible the other team is that was evidence that, I mean, that was uh, exhibit a, that's what I would go with right there. But either way, uh, great play by Muma. You knew how this game was going to go pretty early on, but I think <laughs> you probably knew even before because New Mexico state entered the weekend ranking 130th nationally in total offense, 130th in scoring offense, 129th in team completion percentage, their quarterbacks, we're completing 42.3% of their passes. And that would have been considered a good day based on how well they did against Wisconsin. Because I think they finished 10 of 30 for three interceptions. So this was what was always going to happen. But credit Wisconsin for making the plays when it needed to be made. And even the reserves got in on the action. Because you mentioned the first two. I thought cornerback Avion Jones played great coverage on the wide receiver who mishandled a pass that inside linebacker Jake Cheney ended up intercepting. That led to Isaac Rendo's touchdown run from a 63-0 lead. But I think, for the most part, the defense did what you expected them to do against an absolutely terrible offense. It just had – it was a recipe for disaster for New Mexico State from the very beginning. Yeah, it was, a, it was just a really, really poor passing team. Um, the the one thing that did stand out, though – oh, another horrible penalty on Keanu Benton. Um, I thought that the one again in the opener against Illinois State that kept the drive alive was horrible. This one was really, really bad. Like it wasn't targeting by any stretch. And I struggled with the idea that it was even a late hit. I mean, it yeah. maybe just maybe just the violence of it uh made it made it seem like it was more so. Uh, and he's obviously, I mean, you know the ball's gone, just chill out. But it was I, I thought it was kind of a bang bang and um, but he got called for it. It was certainly not targeting, but um, you could have made an argument against the uh, the personal foul. It was good that they overturned the targeting because I just could not believe that it was. It didn't even hit him in the in the helmet. It was in the it chest. The chest, and, yeah. And when you, it's harder because when you watch it in the slow mo replay, it looks like it takes even longer between when the ball is released and Keon who got to him. But uh, is that your one gripe about the defense? It's not. <laughs> It's not. No, no. I got something else. Yeah, I got something else. Uh, The tackling, Uh, especially against what was his name? Star, Star Thomas. Star Thomas. Yeah. Big dude. Running back. 230. But like on his 22 yard run, he broke a bunch of tackles. Uh, It it felt like he they struggled at times to tackle. I thought it was especially the case in the first half. I thought they kind of figured it out. But uh, against New Mexico State. okay. what do you think is going to happen this Saturday? If you miss a tackle or two, it's not going to be a 22 yard gain. It's going to be an 80 yard touchdown. And I felt it's in the tackling. I mean, we saw Nakia Watson against them yep. uh, with, with uh, Kamoi Latu missing that tackle and it leading to a touchdown. Like there have been instances here and there this season where they've really struggled to get guys on the ground. And I don't it, know. It go- I, I don't necessarily know the reason behind it other than just, you know, trying to make the big hit as opposed to making the, just making the right tackle. It goes back to having to play pretty close to a perfect game to have a chance against Ohio State, and those are exactly the types of things that you can't have against them. I do feel like, for the most part, this defense has taken care of business, but it's, it's sometimes it's hard to know exactly what all that means given the level of competition other than Washington State. I mean, they've played an FCS team and one of the worst FBS teams 
And so the numbers should be good. But yeah, the missed tackles, that was that was an issue against Washington State. That's something that multiple players, multiple players talked about after the game, something that they needed to fix. You can't have it. I don't expect them to be perfect, but you're right. It'll be magnified on Saturday night against Ohio State, as will everything else. Yeah, everything takes a step up. Everything does. Um, and so, like, the, the easy or the, uh, you know, the things you get away with against New Mexico State, you're not going to get away with them against Ohio State for the most part because that is um, a crazy, ridiculous, unbelievable, uh, explosive offense that uh, Toledo found out found out uh, firsthand the other day or uh, on Saturday night. I mean, that, they just have weapons absolutely everywhere. Now, they are they could potentially be missing Travion Henderson. Uh, he uh, left that game yesterday after I think his first touchdown, he was in in a boot afterwards. I mean, I guess we'll see how this week plays out. It's not like they don't have a whole bunch of other guys that can play, but Travion Henderson, potentially the best running back in the big 10. And obviously if you're the one of the best running backs in the big 10 means you're one of the best running backs in the country. And he, he's absolutely uh, absolute beast. Do we want to get into, into, to talk a little bit of here, uh, Ohio state Um, because, and try and think think of, we ought to. Yeah. And try and think of some reasons as to why Wisconsin might have a chance uh, to pull the upset. They are big underdogs. Uh, I believe I saw the line, the last line I saw was 17 and a half. Uh, I've seen it go up, you know, as low as 16, and I'm sure it could potentially go any which way. Uh, you, you, you'll have an article here, Jesse. People, if you're, you're listening to this right now, you probably go see it right now at The Athletic. But how good is Ohio State's offense? <laughs> I mean, this offense appears to be every bit as formidable as all the predecessors. And I don't know how much you can take from a game against Toledo, but that was a game where Ohio state scored 77 points. CJ Stroud, who was your early Heisman trophy front runner threw five touchdown passes and three different receivers recorded at least hundred yards receiving. I, I think Stroud is obviously one of the difference makers, but he hasn't thrown an interception yet this year. There's just so many ridiculous weapons on that team. I think it's, Obviously, Ohio State has dominated the Big Ten and in turn has dominated Wisconsin. This is just a challenge that is on another level from anything Wisconsin has seen. And honestly, if Wisconsin could somehow pull it off, it'd be the biggest win of Paul Christ's uh, tenure as the head coach at Wisconsin. Really? I, really? I, I feel like I feel even, like if you go in and beat a, the even, number three undefeated team on the road where you haven't won in 18 years. Yeah. To me, it's. Really, be the biggest win. What's that's what's a, your? That's surpri- no, it's surprising to hear you say that. Um, well, what would be? Well, I mean, well, look, I know you beat you, Miami in the Orange. Well, Bowl. yeah. You, the, <laughs> are you uh, are you mocking me here? I am. I am mocking you um, because of how important and how impressive that that Orange Bowl win was, and how much it means to you're, all the fans and all the people. Anything that's not the Rose Bowl, you don't give a crap about. This isn't 1990 anymore. Or 1999. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I'm just, I just joking. I'm joking. This would obviously be far and away the biggest win because what it would mean. I mean, I, I guess if you're going to beat them doing it in the big 10 title game is more important. Of course. Right. But like that could be, that would be the only thing that could top a win like this, um, would, would be to beat, uh, you know, to get to the big 10 title game and either beat them or beat Penn state or beat Michigan or whoever would be in that spot. But like to, to get over Ohio state and get to the spot where, uh, Wisconsin has not been for a decade now, uh, which is at the top of the Big Ten, um, would be by far Paul Chris' biggest win, and it's—I don't think it would be particularly close. Now, and if they had I won, think, now if they had won that Oregon Rose Bowl, that might be a little bit different, but uh, they didn't. So here we are. I think just to give some context to this, and this is in my story. I don't want to make it sound, first of all, that it's an absolute impossibility that Wisconsin would win the game, like. I don't think they're going to win. You don't think they're going to win. I don't know that anybody really believes they're going to win outside the locker room. But here's what they're dealing with. Ohio State, over the last 10 years, so since Urban Meyer became the head coach and now obviously Ryan Day, they're 77-5 and during regular season Big Ten games. And at home, they're 40-1 and against Big Ten teams. The only loss came back in 2015 against the Michigan State team that ended up going to the college football playoff, which means that Ohio State is currently on a 25-game winning streak at home against Big Ten teams. And 12 of those 25 wins came against nationally ranked teams. So it's just, it's not just that they're playing Ohio State. It's that Ohio State is damn near unbeatable at home. I know they've lost a couple of non-conference games. But 
they've just been so dominant. And I know Wisconsin has been close. I think that's the thing that's so maddening for Badgers fans, obviously, is that in this eight-game losing streak that started back in 2011, they've been close. They lost two overtime games. They were right in it in the Big Ten championship game twice. There were a couple other games that were decided by single digits and haven't been able to get over the hump. But to me, it always comes back to the talent level. And I know that that's (laughs) like obvious, but it materializes in such a massive way to me over the course of a 60-minute game against the Ohio States of the world. And it just, it's so consistent. And that's the thing Wisconsin's got to try and overcome, which is why I keep saying they've got to play close to the perfect game because Ohio State is talented enough that if they do have a mistake or something, they can overcome that in a much easier fashion than Wisconsin can. Yeah, so when Wisconsin lost as a uh, 17 and a half point favorite against uh, Washington State, uh, there were there were people that were talking about it and and be like, they were trying to support Paul Chris. They're like, you can't really talk about this in, unless you talk about how how other teams have done in similar situations. Like this, this happens to everybody. Um, Ohio State, as far as I can tell, as a seventeen and a half point favorite at home, which is kind of probably what they're going to end up being here. They haven't lost a game since nineteen ninety eight <laughs> at home. The, the the thing is that Ohio State and Alabama and maybe one or two other schools are the exception to the rule. And it's just so difficult to try and compare anybody to them, even though obviously Wisconsin and its fans aspire to have a team in one season that is as good as what Ohio state can be in a lot of years, but you're right. They just, they don't lose the bad games very often. They have on occasion, they lost to Purdue, obviously lost on the road. a game, uh, right. Obviously lost a game at Iowa uh, also on the road. Um, but they're just the exception to the rule. And it's insane, the success that this program has been able to have consistently, but goes back to having the best players on the field. It doesn't always work out that way. Like we know Wisconsin's beaten teams that had more talented players, but Ohio State is just on a different level. It is just on a different level. And so, all right, so what does a perfect game look like for you when it comes to Wisconsin somehow beating them? So it's all the things Wisconsin didn't do against Washington State. Let's start on special teams. You've got to be able to convert because you might not have a ton of scoring opportunities, can't have missed field goals. If you can get an explosive play on special teams, that's huge. To have an Isaac Arendo bring it past midfield to set up the offense in good position, that's big time. So it's all three phases. You can't have the turnovers, and you certainly can't have back-breaking penalties that are going to negate your... There's not going to be very many opportunities, I think, for Braylon to break off a 14-yard run for a first down. Um, there might be a few, but from those few, you can't have a penalty that puts you in a second and 20. So it's all the obvious things, but that's absolutely what Wisconsin has to do just to give itself a chance. And defensively, I think it comes back to not giving up the big play. With Ohio State has an explosive offense, as we've seen, as we see in a lot of years when they play Wisconsin. The Badgers have to be able to get off the field and they've got to have the offense spend a lot of time on the field and maybe frustrate Ohio State because the offense, Ohio State's offense wants to be out there. So it's all three phases and it's just limiting those mistakes to give yourself the best chance to win. That stuff sounds super obvious, I know, but that's exactly what it's going to take. And that's what we didn't see last week against Washington State. So I've seen uh, some people talk about this and I wonder if you feel the same way. Should Wisconsin, you, you, you talked about trying to stay on the field, right? The offense, Wisconsin's offense, stay on the field, you know, grind the clock, do all that stuff. Can they win that way? Or do they need to open yeah. it up and potentially throw early to try and get Ohio State on its heels? I'm glad that you asked that question because in the aftermath of the Washington State game, I um, posted a, a mailbag submission request did a, a mailbag that ran earlier or last week. And a lot of the questions centered around that. And I think it's it's an interesting idea because the thought from some readers was that when you rely on those long drives and they had four plus four drives that were 11 plus plays against Washington State didn't score, then the margin for error is is slim because you have to be so good to keep the chains moving. The flip side of that to me, though, is what happens if you do air it out and to take a shot and you don't hit it and then you're in an obvious passing down where the team's going to blitz and you're in big trouble, then what is your bread and butter doesn't exist at all because 
you're off the field for a three and out. It's a really delicate balance. I don't know what the answer is. If I did, I'd be an offensive coordinator making a lot more money than I do. But I think there is something to that idea. It's just, it's sort of hard because this is what Wisconsin football has been for so long is control the clock, run the ball well. But it's an interesting question to ask. Can you do that against an Ohio State? Or do you need to fight them with a style that may give you more explosive plays? I think they've got some weapons to try and find that balance. But I don't know what that looks like against the the Buckeyes. You know, how many 15 play drives that last eight minutes are they going to have against Ohio State? Not very many. I mean, none. I'm going to go ahead and say (laughs) none. They just they're not dominant along the offensive line. I mean, they're, they're not at this point dominant enough to do that. Um, I, I think back to 2010, I don't even know why I'm thinking about it, but like at Iowa 2010 and even the, the, the Ohio state game the week before the offensive line was just so dominant that they could deal with those, those long drives. I, like the game winning drive they had against Iowa, I think it was like 15 or 16 plays. They had, a, I believe an 18 play drive against Ohio state uh, the week before, like those, that was it. And I know I'm going way back. I just, uh, I may have watched some of that stuff last night uh, because <laughs> uh, I went down a rabbit hole, but like those, that was a dominant offensive line. Wisconsin's offensive line is, is not that. Um, so I don't know necessarily think it's going to be able to, to be able to do those, those drives. And, and it, it also, yeah, it leaves you like the more plays you have, the more chances you have of screwing up too. Um, you know, whether it's penalties or, you know, a missed throw or a drop pass or a fumble, like all those things go up. So having the ability to be an explosive offense, which they kind of have at times this year, right? I mean, we saw explosive plays against Illinois State, saw explosive plays this past week. They, I mean, they had a couple of throws down the field, obviously against Washington State as well. So they, they've shown the ability to be uh, explosive at times, but it's obviously a, just a different animal uh, doing it at Ohio State, doing it at night against Ohio State. Um, and, uh, I, I think it's obviously just a, a monumental task that it, I think is, I don't know, man, what's like, what's the hardest thing in the world you can do? Like as an individual, like climb, uh, climb a Mount Everest or something. I, I don't know, whatever it is, like, this is climbing that, that mountain and they just haven't been able to get over it. Uh, and you mentioned, you talked about the close games that they played against them. All those games have either been at Lucas oil or at camp Randall. The, the, the ones 2013 the, game in Columbus. Was it was not a close game. It, I mean, it wasn't though. I mean, they. I mean, yeah. I mean, uh, Wisconsin had chance has its chances. Did you ever feel in that game like Wisconsin was going to win it? No, but I did okay. in 2011. That was also that was a terrible Ohio State team. But still, that uh, was in that, Columbus. That was over a decade ago. Um, I guess. Okay, I'm, I'm, you were yeah. just watching the 2010 Iowa game. I was. I was. What I'm saying to give you an example of of a dominant offensive line being able to, to do that type of stuff on the road against uh, and a really good defense like Iowa's was that year. Um, what I'm saying is like, yeah, Russell Wilson ain't rocking through that, that door. Um, if he was, I might pick Wisconsin on Saturday, um, but he's not. So uh, that is, that that's a little bit different. I'm, t- I'm talking about when Wisconsin's offense has been Wisconsin's offense minus the, the Russell Wilson year. You know, going on the road to Columbus is a very daunting task. They haven't necessarily uh, uh, done a great job at it. I mean, I guess they've only been there, what, 13 and 19? It has been a ton. They've played them five times. So this is (laughs) this was funny, too, because the the last time Wisconsin beat Ohio State in Columbus was 2004. uh, (laughs) Yeah, Ted Ted Ginn was on that team. Braylon Allen was asked about if he knew the last time uh, they had they had uh, won there. And I mean, obviously like who <laughs> the dude's 18 years old, he was not going to know. But when, when he was told, he just kind of had this look on his face. Like he was talking about an event from the stone age. And he yeah. said, I, I wasn't even a year old. That's crazy. Yeah. Like he was born January, 2004. So, but they've only played five times in Columbus since then. So it's not like they play very often there, but right. it's just, it's ridiculously difficult challenge as evidenced by the record Ohio state has against all the other big 10 teams. Yeah. So since we're going back in time here, uh, that 1998 game that I I mentioned about them losing as a, as that big of a favorite came against Michigan state. uh, And it helped Wisconsin get to the Rose bowl uh, because it was the only, it was the only loss that Ohio state had that year in conference. And then they went on the final day, of the regular season or the final day, of the big 10 season, Ohio State, uh, Michigan beat Ohio State. And so all three teams were seven and one. And since Wisconsin had been to the Rose Bowl, the least 
uh, most recent, or that had been it hadn't been longer for them than anybody else. They ended up getting to go. I remember those tiebreakers back in the glory days. Um, <laughs> but uh, I mean, that's how they ended up getting to go in 2010 as well. So uh, the chances that Wisconsin pulls this upset, what percentage? <laughs> yeah, what percentage would you put it at? 10% and maybe that's just overly pessimistic um, <laughs> or realistic. It, it's just it, this is tough because it's not like we're talking about a program that sucks. Right. Wisconsin has been so consistent and one of the best programs in college football for so long. And at the same time, we're talking about a different pro a program that's in a different stratosphere. And I think there's an interesting note in the, the packet of information we get every week from Wisconsin and they sort of cherry pick the numbers, but the conference winning percentage dating back to 2014 among power five teams, Wisconsin is sixth, sixth best in the country. They've won like 74.6% of their big 10 games. And there's Ohio state at number one, because the Ohio state's won 93.8%. And so it's, it's the difference of a, a, a good team, a better than good team and a great program just one of the three best in college football every year, three or four best. That's why they're competing for the playoff spot. And Wisconsin is competing to try to have a chance to get into a big 10 championship game. It's just, it's different levels that we're talking about, but that's why I think I put it at 10%. I, I just don't, I don't see it. And the other thing that I think is worth mentioning is when we go back to how significant this would be for like Paul Chris's coaching tenure, I assume you know this, but do you know what his record is against ranked teams since he became head coach? Um, let me think about this for a second. Uh, uh, 12 and something. Yeah, he's 12 and 17. And since 2018, he's 5 and 11. And I'm even including the wins. <laughs> um, 2019 like I, season. Yeah. yeah, like like, you know, there was that stretch where they lost, I think, eight straight games against ranked teams, which... It's just, I don't know, man. It, I, I don't have very much confidence that Wisconsin can go do this. And if we're talking next week about a massive upset, I'll, I'll certainly be willing to eat crow there. But it's just what evidence do we have that Wisconsin's going to go do this uh, against a team that just almost always wins these games? Yeah. Uh, just looking at the wins that they have against ranked teams, it's like either Iowa, Minnesota, Purdue, um, that's essentially where a most a majority of those wins probably came from. Uh, I know the, I shouldn't say they beat yeah. Michigan twice as well, uh, and LSU, but like Western Michigan's in that. Yep, Miami's in that. From oh no, that was uh, 2017. So yeah, in the overall totality of Chris' career, yeah, yeah. So it's just to me, this is the type of game. Like if you win it, it changes it, like it, Wisconsin doesn't become <laughs> a national title contender or anything, but it just changes a lot about what you think is possible for Wisconsin, because certainly this season, it would change the trajectory of what you, what you think they could achieve. If they can go do that, then, then maybe they can keep doing that. But Wisconsin is a program that beats the teams it's supposed to beat, And then it's kind of a coin toss with everyone else. Sometimes. Sometimes, for the most part, <laughs> Washington State notwithstanding. On when's, the whole, la when's the last time they've surprised you with a win? Wow. Um, I feel like I'd have to go look at these. Would it probably, I mean, would it be Purdue last year? Like, I mean, I, I know it's Purdue and Wisconsin hasn't lost Purdue since 2003. Um, but I'm feeling like I want, maybe LSU in 2016. Um, yeah, that that surprised me, but we didn't realize how bad LSU was going to be that season. Right, right. <laughs> but like in the moment, in the moment, like it caught you off, you know, it caught yeah. you off guard. It was a um, that was a big boy win because before that, I think their last non conference win against the top five team was Nebraska in 1974. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah, it had been a long time, but this would surpass all of them. Oh, Michigan State, uh, who also ended up being really bad that year. Um, but like going into Michigan State who had, mm -hmm. you know, been, had been just so good under Mark D'Antonio for so long. And they go in there and just absolutely roll them 30 to six like that, that. That, that was a bit of a surprise in the moment. Yeah. So now all you dear listeners who are this deep into the podcast, uh, if you're still willing to watch the game, uh, I, <laughs> I don't want to talk, you know, I don't want to make you jump off a ledge or anything like that. It's just, it's these are what, this is what we're feeling right now. Do you know uh, Wisconsin's record all time against the number three team in the country? 
Oh, I certainly do. Yeah, because you're looking right at it, aren't you? Four, ten, and one. Four, ten, and one. Do you know those wins? Because <laughs> I do uh, not. I mean, I would need some time to look it up, but no. That's a, that's a very, very good question that I uh, do not have the answer to, but I'm assuming it probably hasn't been in recent memory. When's the last time Wisconsin beat the number one team in the country, Jesse? Oh, well, 2010, right? Ohio State. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I was hoping that you were just not even going to think about that. Oh, <laughs> the last time Wisconsin beat the number three team in the country. Can you what guess? You got? Can you guess? <laughs> I'm going to say it's before my time covering the program. Oh, it's definitely before your time covering <laughs> the program. It was 2003 against mm, Ohio State. Very the nice. Yes. Ohio Matt Shaver to Lee Evans. Matt Shaver to Lee Evans. Um, stormed the field that day. Uh, it was it wasn't an overly impressive storm, uh, it, it, but. You know, we, we got to rock the goalpost a little bit. Uh, the uh, that was an awesome day. Uh, I, I I know this is like twenty years ago, but that was an awesome day. The game was at eight o'clock. Lived just off of Breeze Terrace. Drank all day. Had a great game. I mean, it was the game was awesome. It was a great day. It was a great day. It was one of those days that you know, for fans, probably they'll remember for a really long time, assuming they could actually remember what happened during the game. But yeah, that was the last time Wisconsin beat the number three team in the country. So, hey, there's a little bit of Ohio State uh, here, and, and now we'll see if Wisconsin uh, can can pull that upset. Uh, can I get a prediction from you, Jesse? You want a score prediction? I do. Without me having thought about it at all. Well, I'll give all you right. a little... Do, right, you know what? I'll talk here. Um, I'll let you think about it. I think... Uh, I, I don't think Wisconsin covers. I think uh, Ohio State's offense is going to put up a significant amount of points because I, I really, really question Wisconsin's secondary at corner right now. Um, while they, they, they've made some plays, right? Uh, you know, Jay Shaw's made some plays. We saw Ricardo Hallman make a play. Alexander Smith needs to play. Like they need, they need him on the field. I don't necessarily know if that's going to happen considering they ruled him out very quickly. And I wonder if he had a setback at some point, but I feel like he needs to be on the field. He was their best cover corner coming in. Him and Jay Shaw were both right up there, according to Jim Leonard. So not having him, and it, you know, is kind of tough. And obviously, now no Hunter Wohler and no Travion Blaylock. They're, they've taken a lot of hits back there. And I, um, you know, that to me is the is the biggest matchup of the game is Wisconsin's ability to try and slow what is just an insane receiving core plus the quarterback, obviously, uh, for Ohio State. Like, I mean. Those guys, like the guy, the guys that they have there, would be number one receivers at every other school that they went to, pretty much. Um, maybe outside of like Alabama and, um, yeah, maybe Alabama and Georgia. Every one of those guys is probably like the top receiver wherever they went to school. Instead, there's like five of them that can all tear you up at any moment. So, and that has always been like the biggest separation between Wisconsin and Ohio State has been the play on the outside. Um, yeah, more so, more so their receivers versus Wisconsin's defensive backs as opposed to the other way around, but that's such a huge hill to climb. Um, so I'm, I'm going to take uh, Ohio State 42-17. Uh, wow. You know, the last time they played in Columbus, they had a, a pretty good team and lost that one 38-7. Uh, yep. And you could just see – you could just see that the, the playmakers – we're so explosive and such different makers for Ohio state. I'm really, I, I have no uh, inclination to pick Wisconsin at all. Uh, it's just a matter of how much I think Ohio state's going to win by I've I'm going to go 34, 10. Um, I just, there's a part of me that wants to say something like 27, 10 and maybe Wisconsin covers just because I think Jim Leonard does such a great job generally of, trying to put his team in a good position to win. But I think you laid out pretty well. One of the reasons that Wisconsin struggles consistently against Ohio state. And I just don't know for, for as good as the passing game has been in the first three games. And I, I commend Graham for the strides that he's made. I just don't know what's going to be open and available against Ohio state's defense. Ohio state, again, as we said, it's just on another level. So I'm going to go 34, 10 Ohio state, maybe the Badgers. I mean, I won't be shocked if this is like, I, honestly, I won't even be shocked if it's a one possession game at halftime. We've seen that before, but over the course of 60 minutes, Ohio state's talent we've seen so often just wins out. And again, it being on the road and at night, it's so much to overcome for Wisconsin. If they do pull off the upset, it's one of those games you're talking about, not just for years, but for decades. And, and that's how special it would be for Wisconsin to do it. 
and that's how difficult it's going to be. As evidenced by me still talking about the 2003 game. Exactly. Now, it'll be uh, it'll be an interesting game. Maybe I'll be like you, and I'll I'll change my score prediction. Maybe 42 seems forty teams forty two seems a little bit high um, against Wisconsin, just maybe because they're able to to limit possessions. Um, and I know Ohio State hasn't put forty on Wisconsin since the uh, Big Ten championship game, I believe it was, uh, where they put fifty nine on them. Um, I don't envision something like that happening, but yeah, it. Uh, ugh. Maybe I'll go thirty eight. Maybe I'll go thirty eight thirteen. <laughs> yeah. I, I talked myself out of it. Yeah, thirty-eight, thirteen is my official prediction, um, okay. and I will stick with that. I, I won't, I won't go back on it uh, on a different platform here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not bitter, not bitter. I don't know all. what you're talking about. Uh, is there anything that you wanted to hit on before we uh, we get going? No, I, I think we pretty much covered it. If we, again, if Wisconsin can do something uh, really special, then I think we'll have you know different conversations about what we think this, this program can do. I just, I think it's such a weird spot for Wisconsin to be in as a program that they've had all this success. And yet the question keeps coming back to, can the Badgers ever take that next step and more consistently compete against upper echelon programs? They can do it sometimes. Um, There's a number of factors why, but games like this are the ones that, I mean, it's, it's, is it, it just defines kind of who you are as a program in my mind (laughs) for all the success that you have. Can you win these kinds of games? Um, I guess can we're going to find out. Can you compete in these type of games? Right? They've been competitive for the most no, they, part. It's just they've, they've been competitive. Yeah, uh, they ha- they have been competitive uh, at the new. You know, especially in Indianapolis, they've been very competitive. Um, and to be fair, those games, not necessarily Ohio State home games, but they're uh, they usually had had more fans there than Wisconsin did. So it's not like it was a home game by any stretch uh, for Ohio State, but it was, you know, it was pretty partisan. So they had success there, jumped out, you know, to Leeds in, in 2019 and, and were, you know, 43 yards away from the playoff in 2017. Again, that's those, those teams are a long time ago. And I don't, I just yeah. don't know if they're, if they've got enough to do this at night, 630 on the road. Oh, I can't believe I went this. I'm, I'm glad you said that. Uh, it reminded me of the uniforms. What'd you think of the uniforms on Saturday? I, uh, I'm a big fan. I'm a big yeah, fan. Pretty solid. Apparently, some of the leaders, Braylon Allen included, uh, were excited about that, made that happen. And Paul Christ was asked about it. He doesn't care what they wear as long as they play well in, in whatever it is they wear. So I'm all for it. Change it up. Have a little bit of fun. And maybe they'll wear something like that again. You win 66 to 7. <laughs> might be time to give it a whirl again. Surprised to hear Paul Chris say that he doesn't really care what they, they wear. I, I mean... I feel like the team may have said, Hey, let's wear this stuff in the past. And maybe it didn't happen. Cause I, you know, kids, kids these days, how old are we? They all, they all want uh, very old. Uh, at least I am. They all want, you know, the, the different things you can wear. I, I uniform changes. I know there's a lot of purists that are like, no, just wear red and white at home and, and white and white on the road. And I don't get those people. I loved Gary Anderson's, uh, you know, the, the stuff that they did with their uniforms back then, I wish they would go back to that uh, just to give it a little bit, a uh, little bit of different feel. The black, uh, the black helmets, or I should say, the black accent with the red helmets, were awesome. So yeah, if they want to do that, or I should say, I hope they push for more of it because it was, uh, it was a good look. I'm sure they'll probably be wearing white on white on white on uh, Saturday night. Real quick before we go, where does Columbus rank on your scale of Big Ten venues, uh, or I should say, Ohio Stadium, the Horseshoe? Columbus, the city, where does it rank in terms of places that you enjoy going? So the stadium is separate from the city in my mind because it's it's a big city. I've got relatives who've lived there for uh, decades and decades. I like kind of a smaller Big Ten type of town. Um, as far as the stadium, it's damn near the top. You get 100,000 people there. It's rocking. It's incredible. I don't know where it ranks. It's got to be top three, though. Um, not In terms of best Big Ten cities, I mean... Place I guess like I'm biased. I'd put Madison at the top. Um, yeah, I'd have to think about it. But stadiums, you know, Michigan Stadium, Ohio Stadium. I thought Penn State was pretty cool. It's up there. Yeah. That. Where does Runza rank on? You know, the ability. You know, does it? You does know, that Zach, affect? Does that affect you at all? Because I, I feel we're going to Nebraska later this year. Oddly like- enough, I was thinking about this randomly the other day. Like, you know, <laughs> do I give Runza another shot? 
And do I force you to come along with me just to try it? <laughs> because we will be in Lincoln and everybody deserves a second chance in life. And so yeah. I think maybe I'll give Runza a second chance, uh, you know, despite <laughs> despite what my uh, gastrointestinal distress might say <laughs> later. Right. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> All right. Uh, that is that is November. We'll see. Uh, they just fired their defense coordinator, by the way. Uh, we'll see if they have any coaches left. Nebraska does when Wisconsin goes there in uh, in November. Jesse, thank you very much. Thanks, Zach. All right, there it is. Jesse Temple from The Athletic. You've been listening to The Camp.